Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show is a little treat. We are covering a movie the day it comes out. We don't get to do that very often, but we are talking about Ari Aster's Midsummer, which came out today, July 3rd. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it with film critic Josh Bell. And speaking of Josh Bell, our guest for the episode... He has a new podcast launching today that I produced that also is hosted by Jason Harris, who's been on the show a few times. Uh, it's called Awesome Movie Year, and you can find it anywhere that you listen to Piecing It Together. If you've been listening to the show lately, you know all about Awesome Movie Year, but just in case you haven't heard the last few episodes, uh, the show is going to be like a deep dive into... Uh, a different movie year each year and they're going into different specific categories and filling each one in with a movie to talk about. Uh, for example, the first episode is the box office champ of the year 1994, which was The Lion King. So that's the episode that's up today. But uh, we're going to also be talking about uh, the first feature of a major filmmaker from 1994, uh, the box office flop. Uh, a particular documentary, a foreign film, the best picture winner of the year, and a bunch of other great categories. So make sure you check out Awesome Movie Year, and we'd love to hear what you think about it. And we'd also love to hear what you think about piecing it together. So if you enjoy the show, why don't you go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts? That would be amazing. And make sure to subscribe while you're there. So uh, I think we might as well get into this episode. Uh, Midsummer is a very, very much anticipated film. Uh, Hereditary is one of the best horror films of the last few years. Um, insanely uh, assured debut from Ari Aster um, that he just came out of the gate with this movie that was just so huge. It's pretty wild. And so, you know, all eyes are on him, much like with Jordan Peele earlier this year with us. Um, they were all were wondering what was going to happen with his next movie. And now it's here, so uh, make sure you've seen it, because we are, of course, going to get into some spoilers, and then let's jump into this conversation about Midsummer. All right, so today we are doing one that I know a lot of people are looking forward to. We are going to be talking about Ari Aster's Midsummer, and with me is Josh Bell. How's it going, Josh? It's good. How are you? Hey, man, I am all right. Lots of podcasting going on, but uh, we took a break to go watch this the other day. Yes, we did. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a fun one to talk about. It's a weird-ass movie, but um, 
Yeah, I was really looking forward to it. I'm sure you were as well. I was. I I think I didn't like uh, Hereditary, his previous film, as much as I had hoped to like it, mm. or as much as a lot of people did. It was a movie that had so much hype behind it that sure. I was really anticipating, and I like horror movies, and especially horror movies that are artistically ambitious, so... I think I was hoping to like it a little more, but even so, I was definitely looking forward to this. He's obviously a, a very talented filmmaker with a, a unique vision, so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was excited, and uh, I think it'll be fun to talk about. Yeah, well, I think that we're going to get into, I, my, I'll tell you right up at the front <laughs> here, my puzzle piece list is a messy mess, but <laughs> we will get it to them right. the best we can, and I, I know you got a bunch too. I mean, this yes. is a movie that clearly is inspired by a lot of different things. Yes. Um, so, you know what? Why don't we jump in? What do you got for your first puzzle piece? Well, I'll start with something very obvious that I think has been cited in a lot of articles about this film, uh, which is The Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. Um the original, let's say, I have to say, I've never seen the Nicolas Cage remake, uh-huh. although that movie is infamous. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I could see Ari Aster working with Nicolas Cage in the future. I think Ooh, that would yeah. be a, a, a fruitful uh, team up. Oh, boy. Um, but the original Wicker Man is a classic of, uh, I guess you call it uh, folk horror, I think is what, what Ari Aster has called this film, mm. um, about the uh, detective going to a small uh, town in England uh, to investigate, I believe it's like a, like a missing woman, mm-hmm. and you know, much like here, he kind of uh, is is embraced slash creeped out yeah. by what's <laughs> going on in this town, and something clearly is not right with the people who live there, uh, and they're all building to this this uh, sort of pagan ritual at the end, and uh, it turns out that he is part of it, whether he likes it or not. Yeah, um, <laughs> and certainly that that sense of um, the mix between like the charm of a small town or here, the commune and the way that that charm can just easily shift into creepiness. And it's all kind of on the same spectrum. Uh, you've got that going and the way he's, uh, seduced, mm-hmm. uh, by some of the, uh, residents of the town, uh, is something that we, we see here. Uh, but of course the seduction is all a, a tool of, of bringing in this outsider and getting sure. part of the the ritual uh, and the climax of the Wicker Man is is famous. Uh, I think people remember those images even if they haven't uh, seen the films. So, right? Yeah, um, it's kind of burned into the idea of like classic horror. I mean, yes, yeah. And I I'm not. That's one of those classics that I you know I know it so well that I'm not even sure if I ever actually saw it. I just know the images. Yeah. You know. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, and then even to the, the Nicolas Cage, uh, remake, you know, you got the bear costumes. <laughs> right. And the bees. Yeah. The there's bees. so many, there's so many memes of that movie. I don't know if I could cite Wicker Man memes yeah. as, a, as an influence, but, uh, yeah, I'd like to see, I mean, even though it's notoriously terrible, I think I would like to see that Nicolas Cage film because people love how terrible it is. Maybe it'll end up on Awesome Movie Year as a cult <laughs> classic for, uh... maybe I, that would be a good candidate. Definitely. Yeah. Right on. Well, yeah, The Wicker Man, of course, is uh, absolutely one that we should be talking about. And, you know, I think even back to the very first trailer for this, I mean, everybody was super excited to find out what Ari Aster was going to do next. And when this trailer came out, it was like, oh, wow, okay, he's doing The Wicker Man right, now. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, so I, I completely agree uh, with that puzzle piece. Um, moving on to my first one, you know, you mentioned, uh, in that one about stuff that he had actually said himself. and. Uh, one of the things he said leading up to the um, uh, the release of this film 
is he described it as, and I don't always like to use the director's own words when when coming up with puzzle pieces, but I, I did think it was uh, a piece worth mentioning. He described it as Alice in Wonderland for perverts. <laughs> and, um, I, think also, a, I thought it was, was it Wizard of Oz for perverts? I thought it was Alice in Wonderland, It he could said. be both, or oh, neither. I don't know, but yeah. uh, go for it. Either way, okay, let's say Alice in Wonderland and, and Wizard of Oz, okay, combine no, them into one puzzle sure, piece. But yeah, sure. it's just this journey into this weirdness and just all kinds of colorful characters and and uh and and set pieces and uh just so much weirdness uh but of course taken to a very very hard r rated place um you know it's uh almost shocking that they got the r rating to be honest with some of the uh, imagery that they were able to get away with with this thing but uh but yeah i mean it does take that kind of wonderland uh, uh, you know, imagery and, and just take it to really dark and disturbing places, which I think that quote, which maybe I'm getting it wrong, but <laughs> I don't that, know. We'll yeah, have to look it up. That and quote, I might though, remember it wrong. Yeah, it definitely does uh, describe it properly, whichever movie it was. Yeah, yeah, no, I <laughs> know, I agree, and 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 it has that sort of like, I mean, in both of those movies, it's about a young woman getting caught up in this fantastical world where she encounters inexplicable. Uh, dangers, mm-hmm. let's say, and of course those stories are a little more uh, family friendly. Sure. Although I think of, I don't know if you've ever seen Jan Svankmeyer's version of Alice in Wonderland, which no. I think is just called Alice, the uh, Czech director who does all of these weird, uh, oh, I've uh, heard disturbing of this. Yeah. Uh, stop motion animation. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, you know, I hadn't had this down, but now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like Jan Svankmeyer is probably an influence here sure. as well. I've seen that Alice, uh, Alice in Wonderland, and and uh, Little Otik, I think, is the one other of his films that I've seen. Um, and they also, he also maybe made a movie about an insane asylum that mm. I saw at a film festival. I'm trying to remember, but they all have that sort of like nightmarish. Can we ever wake up from this sure. dream quality to them? Yeah, and the drugs certainly add to that. <laughs> oh, and the drugs, yes. <laughs> nice, nice. What do you got for your next puzzle piece? Um, well, I guess I'll continue with obviousness for the moment and mention Hereditary. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only because this is, of course, the same filmmaker, but I feel like there's a lot of similar themes here about family trauma and how you deal with that. I mean, sure. Hereditary opens with with Tony Collette. Uh, having to speak at her mother's funeral and the the legacy of her dead mother is really what drives the whole story in that movie and and sort of the way that the mother is controlling or influencing things kind of from beyond the grave. Yeah. Um, and this movie is not quite the same, but it, of course, opens with Danny Florence Pugh's character dealing also with a, a family tragedy, a much more horrific one, yeah. this murder-suicide. And that also hangs over her head as she goes forward. And it's not necessarily a direct influence on what happens later, but it is an important influence on her as a character and how she reacts to things going forward. So I think there's a lot of similar... Uh, themes here uh, also uh, blunt force trauma to the head <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he does up. seem to like his blunt force yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah I mean of course he's influenced by his own work but uh, I definitely saw some parallels I think when we were walking out of the theater I said that like the last two hours of the movie reminded me of the last 15 minutes of hereditary yeah. like just st- stretched out for a couple hours um, but yeah absolutely dealing with sem- similar themes but then uh, just kind of extending the craziness factor, I think, for a long time and like trying to ride that. I also think, and I mean, it, it, it's very kind of shallow to say, but I think that comparisons between uh, uh, Tony Collette's 
performance and Florence Poe's uh, performance are going to be made all year long. Like, you know, it's kind of uh, inescapable. Um, And I'm not going to comment necessarily (laughs) on which is a better performance or if there's a better performance, but uh, certainly I think they're comparable in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I think Toni Collette in Hereditary is a much bigger performance. I Mm -hmm. mean, she gets the builds the like hysteria throughout that movie. And Florence Pugh in this movie is much more subdued and internal. And a lot of the, the like, reactions that she has or the the plans that she makes you can see are all kind of churning in her mind and she's not going big um but i think they're both very very good performances i like florence Pugh a lot i'm glad that she's getting more success i saw her in a movie called lady macbeth a couple years Mm -hmm. ago i don't know if you saw that but never did she is fantastic in that movie which is super dark and she just plays this nasty awful character who is fascinating to watch um, but yeah, she's, I mean, even in like fighting with my family where she's right. like doing this feel good pro wrestling thing, she's a very charismatic actor and I'm glad to see her getting more attention. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing her and more. I mean, she's yeah. fantastic in this. Um, all right. I'm going to go with another, you know, we're sticking with these obvious ones. I'm going to go with one more obvious one here. Well, maybe a few more will be, yeah. but, um, <laughs> uh, this next one is fear and loathing in Las Vegas, a oh. movie I've brought up all multiple right. times on the show, but not just the drug stuff, but <laughs> not just the yeah, drug stuff. Not just the drug stuff, but tied to the drug stuff, the actors' specific performances of reacting to their surroundings while on drugs. Um, I, you know, it's not just trippy imagery. It's the it's the performances and the reaction shots. I mean, some of these, uh, some of the reactions, the faces on these actors, I find I found almost like more horrifying than the stuff that was actually happening, you know, more so than that blunt force trauma to the head or the person jumping off the, uh, the ledge or, you know, any of that stuff is just their faces. And I remember in fear and loathing, I mean, there's a lot of like, I mean, they're just freaking the fuck out, you know? (laughs) And so it's like, it just kind of reminded me of that, um, that really, uh, you know, I guess realistic portrayal of just tripping balls. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, you said it was obvious, but that's not some one that I would have thought of. Yeah. But, but that's, yeah, that's true that, I mean, I, I, I can't speak to the realism of it. Sure. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, the way they react. And I feel like also it's easy uh, movies where they want to tell you that the characters are freaking out on drugs. Yeah. It's easy to go way too far with right. that. Yeah, yeah. And And I think this movie, I mean, this is not a subtle movie, no. but <laughs> the way it depicts the characters being on drugs isn't too crazy yeah. over the top. It gives you the sense that like there's definitely some yeah. weirdness happening and they're maybe freaking out internally. Yeah. But it's not like, you know, pink elephants marching across the street sure. or something like that. Yeah. And they don't go to like, dude, where's my car territory <laughs> of like, whoa, you right, know? <laughs> right. Oh. And who knew I'd be bringing up dude, where's my car yes. during a midsummer episode? Yes. <laughs> That's great. I want to see Ari Aster's take on the stoner comedy. Ooh, that would be something. I'm in. Yes. I'm in 100%. <laughs> what do you got for your next puzzle piece? Okay. So, well, I will admit that you you said uh, you would grab that one question quote from him and mm-hmm. i totally read an indie wire article that was like uh ari aster tells us 10 of his influences i saw that article yeah <laughs> and if you resisted you're a better band than i am <laughs> um so i may i may quote a couple from there but i i will say i only picked out ones from there that were you know that i had been kind of thinking about sure. and are movies that i'm familiar with 
So uh, to start with, one that he did mention in that article is Lars von Trier's Dogville. Mm. And I think Lars von Trier in general is a big influence on this movie. Right. Um, And there's so many von Trier movies that are about these female protagonists who are just like pounded (laughs) by life and by the horrible men around them. And that finally either snap in a sort of pathetic way or in the case of Dogville in a very vengeful way. Yeah. Um, And I think you can definitely draw a parallel between Nicole Kidman's character in Dogville, uh, who is this vulnerable woman who comes to this small isolated community and is hoping to be embraced and uh, eventually uh, takes her revenge, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, And in Midsummer, I mean... She doesn't end up taking her revenge on the community. She becomes sort of like the queen of the community, I guess we could say. Yeah. Um, to ruin, to spoil the ending there. So that's okay, right? We can do that. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Um, so, but I mean, I think it's similar where, like, for all of this time, she's being like battered about by all the people in her life. I mean, especially the the dudes from the U.S. that she already knows, but even the people in the village, it's not always clear whether they're like trying to embrace her or they're going to murder her. Right. Um, Or even just fucking with her. Right. Right. right, Exactly. They seem to be taking some pleasure in uh, screwing with with her and with all of these outsiders and uh, slowly revealing their real intentions. But but, you know, I think it's a movie that by beating her down, it kind of builds her up until that very final shot where you're like, oh, she's now exactly in control and where she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And I think the also the like almost punishing aspect of the movie, even on the audience, is something right. that Lars von Trier is all about, more yeah. so than Ari Aster. That's actually an interesting point because, um, you know, I was just thinking about this this morning while I was finalizing my notes here. I, I'm still wondering how audiences are going to take this movie, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, at the time of our recording, it hasn't come out yet. And, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, audiences seem to not really like hereditary, despite the fact that, you know, critics and, you know, film nerds loved it so right. much. And I wonder if it's, this is going to be like doubling that down, you know? Yeah, I think possibly. I mean, weirdly enough, this is a movie that from a plot standpoint, is not that weird. Yeah. Is really pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, again, if you've seen The Wicker Man, you have a really good idea of what <laughs> yeah. the plot of this movie is. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, this isn't even a movie where he originated the idea. Like mm-hmm. he was hired to make a movie that was like a folk horror movie set in Sweden. Yeah. So, you know, it's like a almost a work for hire thing. And yet he brings so much of his style and his vision to it that. I think you're right that that audiences are going to probably not know what the heck to do with this movie, especially I think, uh, you know, we've had horror movie after horror movie and people who went to see Annabelle Comes Home the week before (laughs) and Child's Play the week before that and are like, oh, here's the new cool horror movie are going to just hate this thing so much. (laughs) Well, you know what? That's a good setup for my next puzzle piece. All right. Um, Whenever a movie uh, builds and builds and builds that craziness since the start of this podcast, I always have to bring up a movie you know I love so much, and that is Mother. Uh, Another (laughs) movie people absolutely hated and have no idea what to do with. Um, But yeah, no, it's just, you know, that... That build of just constant, you know, it getting crazier and crazier and crazier as it goes and as it builds to a a finale that's just kind of, if you're along for the ride, 
you know, it, it works really well and it's like, uh, it's pretty awesome and awe-inspiring, but I had imagined that if you're not along for the ride, it's like, you know, all right, fuck this movie. I'm done with this shit. <laughs> you know yeah. I, mean? I can see this yeah. movie. Like we, we saw it at a screening just with other media members, but yeah. I could imagine going to a, like a regular public screening and just seeing a stream of walkouts. Yeah. Walkout after yeah. walkout. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that Ari Aster uh, relishes in that, you know, <laughs> quite a bit. Like you said, with like with the, the uh, Von Trier uh, example, I think he loves that yeah. quite a bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm all for that. Uh, you know, a movie that can be uh, very polarizing like that. But yeah, I think like Mother, if they do a uh, cinema score polling on this, I think this movie could very well get an F. Yeah. Uh, which usually means not necessarily the movie is bad, but sure. just that there's a, a, a real disconnect between what people thought they were going to get out of it and yeah. what they actually did. And they're mad about that. Yeah. Um, so I I'm, I could be wrong, but it would not at all surprise me to see this get a, a cinema score F uh, the week that it opens. W- uh, one of my girlfriend's friends asked me on Facebook if this was more like Hereditary or like Mother. And I said, probably more like Mother. And she was like, oh, I'm not seeing it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think Mother is a lot more abstract than this movie. Uh-huh. You know, again, from a basic plot standpoint, this movie is very easy to follow. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I can I can see those similarities. And, and, and like you, I really like Mother. Sure. Um, I maybe not quite as much as you do, but yeah. <laughs> I thought it was very good. I think I had it on my top 10 list for the year. And I, I really you know, have a lot of respect for Darren Aronofsky just sure. doing whatever the hell he wants, like Ari Aster. Absolutely. And managing to find people to finance it still. Yes. Uh, yes. These know, movies we'll, are getting made. Right. I always say it. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how long it works for, for Ari Aster as well. Because <laughs> obviously A24 was eager. They, they hired him to make this movie. Yeah. That, that had someone, I don't know, some executive or somebody had come up with the idea. Yeah. But if this movie tanks, which it's totally going to tank. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how many more times will he get a bunch of money to make movies? I yeah. hope a lot, but we'll yeah. see. Yeah. We will see. What do you got for your next one? Uh, so speaking of movies that people hated, uh, <laughs> another movie that I really like uh, that was marketed as the next big horror thing. And I think people went in and just did not like at all uh, is The Witch, Robert Eggers' film. Mm-hmm. And beyond that sort of marketing standpoint, I think going back to what I was saying about Dogville, this is a movie where for much of the running time, you think it's about this female protagonist, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's character, uh, being kind of beaten down and being the victim of the people around her who are oppressing her mainly dudes, Mm -hmm. um, as well as these outside supernatural forces. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, you discover that she's the one now in control and she's sort of doling out the punishment to the people who have tormented her. And I thought the way the journey of uh, Danny, the main character in, in Midsummer, was very similar. And especially the ending of this movie really recalls the ending of the witch where she's now taken on that power for herself. Sure. You know, two, I want to make two points about that because I think I didn't write the witch down, but it's such a great, uh, a great puzzle piece. Um, the, the first one I want to mention, uh, a little more seriously is that the set design, I think, you know, I mean, the, the witch is just so impeccably designed, you know, and it's, uh, you know, even though, of course, it's a very different style of design, I mean, it's just that attention to detail is just 
fantastic. Yeah, the set movie. design in yeah. Midsummer is just like yep. astonishing to me. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The other one, a little bit more jokey, but um, <laughs> when they first arrived in the village, and this is one of my biggest disappointments of the movie, is I thought the dog was going to have a bigger role. Oh, see, I didn't so, even remember there being a dog. There was a dog running and barking when they first got to the village. Oh, okay, and I was like, oh, yeah. I can't wait to see what happens. There's right. some weird A24 dogs. I mean, there was a, <laughs> It Comes at Night dog yeah. and like, you know, uh, what was the other one? But I, I thought maybe it would get a, a Black Phillip level characterization uh, yeah, or something, right, you know? Right. Oh, or even the bear. Yeah. You know? The bear could have gotten a little more. Yeah. yeah. Poor bear doesn't do anything. It yeah. just kind of shows up uh, so that we yeah. remember that it's there for the climax. Yeah. And a good yeah. joke, too. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody going to mention that bear? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. No, The Witch, great, great puzzle piece. And um, a good setup for my next puzzle piece. Uh, this is the first one that I thought of while I was sitting there in the theater. Um, and that is, it's not one particular movie, but it is the films of Wes Anderson. Okay. This, uh, the design of the shots in this movie are just so, um, you know, just, just perfectly set up and, and every frame is just filled to the brim and there, there's like, you know, things are in every, ca- every corner of every shot or everything is, uh symmetrical and you know all that kind of thing the kind of thing that Wes Anderson is very much known for and I mean of course he's taking those ideas from you know filmmakers that have come before him but I mean uh his films though are are the ones that I've seen first of all but also I think are very well known for doing that and uh I think that Ari Aster is kind of uh doing almost like a horror version of that kind of an idea yeah, um, I am not a big Wes Anderson fan. I mean, as I, know. I I'm definitely <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a anti Wes Anderson, but but I can see what you're saying, and I, I think I can't remember what episode it was, but I'll bring up like I did whenever it was we last talked about Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, the Midnight Coterie of Sinister Intruders, the <laughs> SNL sketch featuring, which oh, is the yeah. the uh, Wes Anderson horror movie, yeah, uh, that's right. which I love, I like far more than any actual Wes Anderson movie, uh-huh. um, but but yeah, I I. I can definitely see that in that in that kind of attention to detail especially in the set design i was amazed i at one point in the movie i was like this must be just some real village that they found there's no way that they built all this stuff. right right but they did they didn't even shoot this movie in sweden they shot it in hungary apparently wow and just all of the 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 paintings or drawings on the walls every and single little detail there's so much in it so much to look at yeah, yeah. it's 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 amazing um but yeah, I've seen a couple articles also cite uh, Stanley Kubrick in terms of mm. the like control of the images, sure, and the, the very uh, meticulous way that they're composed. So, I could see that, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All right, what do you got for your next puzzle piece? Uh, all right, well, going back to something that Ari Aster said, mm-hmm. um, he cited uh, Ingmar Bergman as a big uh, influence, and his uh, main um, sort of uh, example was Scenes from a Marriage, which I haven't seen, but which is a drama about a couple breaking up, which mm-hmm. you can definitely see here. Uh, but I'll mention The Seventh Seal, which is probably the most well-known uh, Bergman film, and also one of the only ones that I've seen. But <laughs> um, but that, that dreamlike quality and the pagan rituals, um, that, that austere-ness to the images... Uh, all of that is is all very much Bergman esque, and and the Seventh Seal is is all about those, uh, like yeah, the rituals and the the sort of folk religion. Um, and uh, I think 
for me, watching this movie, I thought of that. Um, and maybe if I had seen scenes from a marriage or had seen a wider range of Bergman movies, I might think of some other ones. But yeah. uh, of course, Bergman is Swedish. And that uh, makes <laughs> sense that this movie is not only set in Sweden, but influenced by by Swedish and Scandinavian films. Um, yeah. And of course, uh, for me personally, I, I can't think of The Seventh Seal without thinking of uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, <laughs> when they, they, they play chess with death, which of course comes initially uh, from uh, Max von Sydow in The Seventh Seal. But Bill and Ted, not a puzzle piece for Midsummer. <laughs> oh, how I wish it was. <laughs> yeah, no, I've never seen uh, The Seventh Seal. I, I do think it's interesting, though, um, as I'm like going over the puzzle pieces I've spoken about so far and what I've got coming up. Uh, I don't have any related to the relationship, which is actually one of the most interesting things about the movie. Yeah. Even, even though it's only, it's only the focus for the beginning and the setup, and it kind of takes a backseat once we actually get to the village. I mean, it's still very interesting and well done, I thought. Yeah, and I think it's a theme, even though maybe it takes a backseat, it's something that's always on the movie's mind and mm-hmm. you always think of when those two main characters are interacting, when yeah. Danny and Christian are interacting. And I think her actions are motivated as much by the relationship and his treatment of her as they are by the like family trauma that she experiences at the beginning of the movie. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, I'm going to go with another puzzle piece. Um, and this next one is a very popular movie, uh, called recent movie called get out. Oh yeah. (laughs) So I, you know, I just thought of the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, coming into this this world that like they just seem like such nice people, you know, <laughs> with such good yeah, intentions. Right. Uh, but um, you know, there's just that something that you know from the get go, regardless of having seen a trailer or anything like that. You just know watching that, like, there's just no way that it's going to be as straightforward as as it certainly seems, and as as nice and sweet as they certainly seem. Um, and you just know it's just going to go in horrible, horrible directions. <laughs> yes. So yeah, both movies have that same kind of a feel, and and also. So, um, uh, the slowly, you know, learning about their customs and the things that they're like, they're into and the things that they do and the, you know, all, all the behind the scenes and like, it's like the way that it's slowly doled out over the course of the the movie. Yeah. And they're also very white. They're very white. (laughs) Yes. Um, I, well, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And I thought it was interesting like when the movie started, I figured, well, they got to do something related to the fact that there's one black dude in this movie <laughs> and is, you know, he's like the only black person in Sweden at the moment, yeah. practically. Um, and it really never comes up. No, no. It um, it's not something that they mention or that there's even any indication that he feels extra discomfort because of this. And I don't know from a casting standpoint, like was the character written that way or did it just come up because they cast that actor uh william jackson harper mm-hmm. who's great on the good place if you ever watch that show oh, um no. yeah he's he's very funny very different kind of character um so but i i was kind of waiting for something about that to come up and it never really did yeah that that is interesting and i i i almost wonder uh if they cast it making you, you know, it's just another question that's going to be in the back of your mind as you're going through the movie. Like, there's got to be something with this guy. <laughs> like, you know <laughs> what I mean? But it, then it never comes. Just constantly keeping you on, you know, on edge or thinking right. about various different things. Right. That's true. It definitely was an added thing to put to put yeah. you on edge, to put me on edge, just because I was kind of expecting. Sure. Um, and maybe also p- playing a little bit with the horror uh, cliches of who dies first or something mm. like that or... 
or oftentimes, especially in Get Out, they do a lot with this with Lil Rel Howery's character, yeah, where yeah. he's the one who's like, come on, yeah. you know this is not the place that you should be going. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what we expect from the black character. Whereas in, in this movie, he's the one who's the most enthused about sure. being there because yeah, yeah. he's trying to study their rituals. And he's even when we have the horrifying uh, old people jumping off a cliff, yeah. like he's like, no, hey, that's normal. That's yeah. what they do here. It's fascinating. It's, it's interesting. It's right, fascinating. Right. You know, that, that's actually a good point because I did write down, I mean, it's not a piece or anything. It's just a, a note I had written down is that the movie just seems so self-aware of being a horror movie, you know, and like it mines a lot of comedy out of that. Um, and so I, you know, it does make you think that, he probably is thinking about that while he's writing this movie. Right. Yeah. yeah. The kind of the line uh, when they're like, oh, the children are watching Austin Powers. Yeah. <laughs> that <right>. was a great <laughs> insert because all of a sudden you're like, Austin Powers exists in the world of yeah. this movie. These people just watch some stupid Mike Myers comedy. What the hell is that? Uh, yeah. But sadly, we never got to see them watching Austin Powers. That would have been a good and, payoff. And how they appreciated it or not. That could have been a uh, post credits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, what do you got for your next uh, um, puzzle piece? Well, I'm going to move something uh, up because you had mentioned uh, the relationship and whether you're not having something. And a movie that I thought of uh, specifically related to that is a movie from a few years ago called The Loneliest Planet uh, by Julia Loctev, which got a lot of critical attention at the time, uh, features Gael Garcia Bernal and some other people who I'm less familiar with. Um, but this is a movie about a couple going on a trip to rural Europe. I think it's uh, Georgia, actually, the you know former Soviet Republic. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're, they're going on this hike through the mountains led by this local guide. And so it's an extremely slow movie. And it's one of these movies where the whole time you're watching it, the characters are just doing these mundane things and you're like, oh, something bad is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And you just wait and wait and wait. Um, but it's all related to their relationship, the, the, the obviously not great relationship between these two main characters. Mm -hmm. And somewhere around, it's been a little while since I saw it, but around the midpoint or maybe even later than the midpoint of the movie, there's a moment where they're being threatened potentially by somebody with a gun and they're in a foreign country, they don't speak the language, they don't know what's going on, and they fear for their lives. And in that moment, the dude, uh, Gael Garcia Bernal, it, like basically pushes the woman in front of him. Like he's, <laughs> he's ready to sacrifice her. He's like George Costanza running out from the yeah. fire. Um, and that moment just kind of crystallizes what their relationship really is. And I think in this movie... Uh, Christian is not specifically sacrificing Danny. I mean, if anything, it's the other way around, but he definitely seems like the kind of dude who would do that. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was a movie, The Loneliest Planet, where it was highly critically acclaimed, and I kind of felt a little underwhelmed with it, but I think it has a lot of similar themes. Right on. Yeah, no, I never did see it, but uh, yeah, those themes you were just talking about, they yeah. make total sense. <laughs> uh, all right, well, uh, my next puzzle piece is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, good uh, one, yes. I just, I just think that this movie, um, you know, I, I'm not specifically commenting on the effectiveness necessarily, but on certainly the intention is just this pure terror, unescapable terror, you know what I mean? And... Uh, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just such a, a perfect version of that feeling. And this is a movie that, in a different setting, with, with different specific goals, story-wise and character-wise, but is still taking you 
into this inescapable place and where just awful things are going to happen. Yeah. 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 That's a good example. And I think another one where they're in the middle of nowhere and they stumble upon this uh, place. And at first it seems like, oh, good. Someone will help us. Yeah. And clearly (laughs) that is not what happens. Oh, yeah. And I, of course, could have pointed to a lot of other movies that use that kind of setup but right. i mean that just seemed like a good one to go to yeah no that is a great a great movie of course i love the texas chainsaw massacre is uh amazing and and a movie that you watch now and you're like how did this become like a cultural phenomenon because it is also like weird and off-putting and yeah. unpleasant to watch in a lot of ways a little slow too that, i mean yeah, by today's yeah, standards anyway right yeah yeah, yeah. But it's a great movie. Absolutely. So I'll go. I'll go back a little to to Ari Aster's uh, own uh, list of things and mention uh, Powell and Pressburger's Black Narcissus, which I think he mentioned a couple of Powell and Pressburger movies, um, including uh, stuff that I hadn't seen. So, uh, but I actually I was thinking about Black Narcissus because I saw kind of in the in the lead up uh, to this article, it mentioned the Red Shoes, which is another Powell Pressburger movie that I have not seen. And that made me think, no, not that one, but Black Narcissus, <laughs> which is a movie about this isolated convent in, I want to say in like the Himalayas, uh, where these nuns live and work. And there's a young nun who comes to this convent as one of her first assignments. And she's kind of naive. And over the course of the movie, she just loses it. <laughs> um, and I mean, it's not a horror movie. It's more of a, a tragedy and a melodrama. Um, but it also is incredibly beautifully composed. Uh, the Technicolor they use, I mean, and that's something that Powell and Pressburger are known for is is the gorgeous composition uh, in their films. But it is a movie that that draws you into this isolated world and gives you a sense of it uh, in order to see how things kind of break down mm-hmm. in that world. So uh, yeah, it's it doesn't surprise me that he's influenced by them in general. Um, and, and specifically that movie. And, uh, yeah, I saw, I actually, I saw that movie on, uh, on nitrate film at the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival, Mm -hmm. which was a a great way to see a movie like that. And it just, the colors are just, they like leap out at you. And this movie has great use of color as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I've never seen Black Narcissus, um, but it sounds really cool. I mean, the way you yeah. describe yeah, it. Yeah, it's a great, I mean, it's a classic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a great movie and, uh, and, and Powell and Pressburger in general are landmark directors whose I have not seen enough of their films. Right on. Well, you know what? I have not read the article you're describing. <laughs> that I've um, cheated from? Y- yes. Uh, I actually, I saw it and I have it saved for later, but I didn't yeah. want to read it. Oh, you know? yeah, that was smart. Uh, yeah. However, I did see his tweet reply, one of many tweet replies to the article. Oh, okay. And <laughs> this is a first for the show. It is a director ahead of my recording of the episode, debunking a puzzle piece i was oh, going to mention okay okay um but it is and of course this is also a movie that's probably too new to truly be an influence but i was still going to mention it anyway and that is climax from gaspar noe oh which i know you love i did love climax and he said uh in his reply uh no i was not influenced by climax but it is a swell movie (laughs) (laughs) um but uh no i mean i i think that first of all aside from the fact that these are both you know purely insane movies um they do share a lot there's a lot of dancing and creepy dancing (laughs) there's a lot of tripping off 
drugs. There is they the characters are all trapped and have no escape and just have to deal with their surroundings and their situation. Yeah. Um there are a lot of things that I think tie the two movies together. And, you know, obviously he's straight up said he's not influenced by it, but I think that probably a lot of the same influences probably uh influenced him as you know, as well as Gaspar Noe in the making of Climax. Right. Yeah, yeah. I did see that that was in that article. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't I actually I still have not seen Climax. Yeah. So I did not mention it myself and I don't know that I read all the specific details, but mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, just because he wasn't specifically thinking of that movie while Could've he was working in. doesn't mean that it's not <laughs> uh you know, uh doesn't share similar qualities. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So maybe you can have uh Ari Aster on this show and there we and, go. Uh, or you could just read that whole article into into the microphone for a podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> Quote him extensively. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, okay, I'll, I'm going to go back to one of my, my non-cheat picks uh, and mention a movie. This is also a recent, not as recent as Climax, but from probably two years ago or something, uh, a movie called The Endless uh, by uh, Benson and Moorhead, who were kind of uh, indie sci-fi horror directors, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a movie about uh, a pair of brothers who have escaped or just kind of left this uh, commune, which is totally a cult. Um, <laughs> and which and it has very similar qualities. I mean, it just like is in California, in like the mountains somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about this these these brothers. Who have they've left this cult where they grew up and they've uh, tried to forge new lives for themselves out in the real world and it's really not working out very well for them and they decide to go back for a visit uh, to the cult and end up staying and all sorts of crazy shit happens mm-hmm. and uh, it's a it's a science fiction movie so it definitely gets further into the realm of that stuff than certainly Midsummer does yeah um, but I think it has a lot of similarities in the way. That when they first show up at the cult and their relationship to it obviously is different in Mm -hmm. that they left and they kind of rejected it. But at the same time, the people seem so nice and friendly. And instead of saying, where the hell have you been and why did you leave us and we're going to punish you? They're they're just, oh, it's so great to see you. What's been going on? Thanks so much for visiting. So friendly. Everybody seems so (laughs) nice. And, And over the course of the movie, one of the brothers kind of decides, you know what, we should just stay while the other brother is trying to remind him there are reasons that we left in the first place. And that that kind of tension between the two of them is what drives the movie until uh, they discover like alternate dimensions and stuff (laughs) outside the scope of Midsummer. But that that dynamic of the the cult that just seems like a bunch of really friendly people and like, why would you even call them a cult? They're just these nice folks. Right, uh, Right. I think really comes up in that movie. Nice. I, I've never seen the endless. Uh but absolutely. I mean this is you know, this is a straight up cult weird cult movie. Yes. <laughs> Anyways. Yes. So I mean it's it's pretty perfect. Um so I, I only have one more puzzle piece and it is uh, you know, as as we call them a bucket of, uh, of movies. Yes. And uh and that is just like cannibal movies in general. You yes. know, I, I wasn't really gonna point to any specific for I mean, you know, re- Fairly recently, it was the Green Inferno, you know, oh, there's yeah. uh, Cannibal Holocaust, you know, the various cannibal related movies where, you know, it's just a village of 
crazy murderous people, you know. And uh, while, like we we're saying, they're they're so nice at first, and yeah. then <laughs> this one, um, you know, that things eventually go to everybody being just, you know, insane. You yes, know? yeah. So that's interesting to me because I wonder. There's a certain scene in this movie where I thought, oh, it's cannibalism, right? I know. And you then mean. later on, I thought maybe it wasn't, right? Yeah, it's what are hard your to thoughts say. on that? <laughs> That's that, it is a good question because, yeah, I don't know if it was because even with that puzzle piece, I'm not specifically saying they are cannibals. I'm saying that like the 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 vibe of just being murdered yeah, by the they're, by they're the, just, the village people, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, they got a cannibal thing going. Yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly it is it is suggested that they might be, you know. But that's the that's the thing about this movie, though, um, is many 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 questions are not answered like <laughs> yeah. you know we're really in the dark as to what exactly is going on in that village i mean there are some things that are you know fairly clear about like their lifeline and all that kind of stuff but as to the reasons they're doing some of these things not everything is explained and it just keeps you so creepily in the dark yeah yeah i agree that is part of the the effectiveness of this movie that just like the characters, we don't really understand yeah. the motivations or what these people are doing. But yeah. but yeah, that one particular scene, I think, even if it's ultimately not meant to be cannibalism, I think it's very deliberately setting you up to think that it is. Sure. And then maybe giving you a bit of doubt so you don't really know. It's part of that self-awareness of the movie, which I think is uh, something that he set out to do, is yeah. to really just play with you the whole way through as to what exactly it is you're watching. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so I only have two more. Okay. Um, and one is, I think, to, to kind of, uh, that goes along with what we're just talking about, about the cannibal movies and the cult movies. Uh, and that is Ty West's uh, The Sacrament, okay. which is uh, a found footage movie uh, that is partially inspired by the Jonestown Massacre. Uh, and the plot there is that uh, this guy and his friends are headed off to this very friendly seeming commune where his sister has been living and she's sending him letters about how great it is and you should come visit. It's so beautiful and wonderful. And they show up and uh, his friends are kind of making a, a documentary. I think they're actually supposed to work for Vice in the movie. I think mm. they actually specifically use that. Wow. Um, and so, of course, they show up and everyone seems super friendly and like... Everything is great, and look at how this is working out so well, and what if we could even stay? And then the murder begins. Um, and uh, because it's inspired by Jonestown, you really know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's not a historical. It takes place in the present day. It's from three, four years ago. Um, but it, it follows in kind of broad strokes what happened there. And there's a great performance and I, of course now i've forgotten the actor's name but the guy who plays the cult leader mm -hmm. is just so frighteningly frighteningly charismatic and he gives this long speech at one point like the towards the climax of the movie that's just mesmerizing and you you really see where like he's clearly a monster mm -hmm. but also you understand why these are people are all following him and yeah. there's some speeches in this movie they're not quite at that level they're a little more subdued but yeah. you can see how the leaders of this uh, cult have 
drawn everyone in and are holding them in line and, yeah. and whatever. That's another interesting thing about this movie, I think, is that there's not a set leader. It doesn't right. seem like there's like it seems like everybody is a leader of this thing. Yeah, I've seen a couple of reviews that cite this as like a matriarchal cult, mm. but I didn't necessarily get that. There's definitely at least one woman who seems like she's a main leader, but there's also a man sure. who seems like he's really a main leader and he's the keeper of that weird uh, library of books written by mentally uh, disabled people. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think either of them could have been the person who you think, oh, this is the leader of the commune. Yeah. Um, so, all right. And then the last thing I'll mention is another one from, uh, from the article that Ari Aster was talking about. And I think it goes along with your mention of Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. And that is Roy Anderson's songs from the second floor. Um, and Roy Anderson films in general. He's another Swedish filmmaker. And if you think, uh, Wes Anderson has a uh, carefully composed, symmetrical, uh, fussy compositions. Man, you have not seen anything until you watch a Roy Anderson movie. Um, and all, I think maybe all of his movies or, or uh, many of his movies and Songs from the Second Floor is the most famous um, is just a series of fixed camera point set pieces. Yeah. So every scene has a fixed camera is a single take. And the camera, it may move, but it, it stays on a fixed point and kind of rotates. Mm. And everything in the frame is clearly just, it's been built from the ground up. And he has put it exactly in the place that it needs to be to film this. And it's not horror, really, although there's some, there's some unsettling stuff in, in his movies. It's more deadpan comedy. But there's, as we were saying, there's moments of, of deadpan comedy in this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I gotta see that because I, I do. I mean, I know you don't like Wes Anderson, but I yeah. do. I like that when there's that right. kind of like weird attention to detail. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I liked cool. Songs from the Second Floor. I've seen that and one or two others of his films. And I think because that was the most famous, if not necessarily the first one, you watch that movie and you're like, wow, this is such a unique vision. And then you watch two more and you're like, oh, so this is just what he does. <laughs> And it kind of loses his power a little bit. I love you, Wes Anderson. Don't, don't listen oh, to Josh. I'm talking about Roy Anderson. I'm talking <laughs> okay. about Roy Anderson here. <laughs> okay. But yeah, Wes Anderson, yeah, I never, never grabbed me. Sorry. <laughs> well, let's do the finished puzzle, and then we'll get to our uh, final thoughts on Midsummer. Uh, the finished puzzle includes... The Wicker Man, Alice in Wonderland, or Wizard of Oz. we got to fact check that. Uh, Hereditary, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Dogville, Mother, The Witch, the films of Wes Anderson, The Seventh Seal, Get Out, The Loneliest Planet, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Narcissus, Climax, The Endless, Cannibal Movies, The Sacrament, and Songs from the Second Floor. So, uh, Josh, got any closing thoughts about Midsummer? I, I mean, I liked it. I think I liked it more than Hereditary, as I was saying at the beginning. I was a little disappointed in that, and maybe because my expectations here were a little lower, uh, I liked this movie more than that. I feel like, even though it is off-putting and weird, and a lot of people will probably hate it, I think it is actually... A pretty straightforward horror movie and I thought it worked well in that way in that I understood what was happening and the way that he presented it and the atmosphere and the the acting and all of that added to it it was a good version of that kind of story so uh yeah I liked it a lot we talked about the set design which is just unbelievably good uh and Florence Pugh's performance which is also just really 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 great and I think she's wonderful and even if this movie tanks at the box office and horror fans uh, hate it. I hope it'll help her career. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think she's great. And, and yeah, I, I, I like the movie quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I loved it, but I definitely liked it. And as I continue, you know, thinking about it, it's definitely, uh, building itself up for me more and more. Um, one thing I found interesting, I, I found this, this morning, did you hear about this, this midsummer movie from 2003? I have not. So there was a movie in 2003 called Midsummer. Uh, spelled the same way? Spelled the same way. Okay. Um, where uh, a bunch of students go to a Swedish forest after one of their sister commits suicide. Um, and then it was remade in 2008 by the director of the Blair Witch Project as a movie called Solstice. Oh, weird. Which is very, very weird. But, um, you know, obviously uh, Swedish forests are a creepy place to go uh, deal with grief, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and, and again, I feel like the concept of this movie is not something super original. Right. And, and, and obviously he was, you know, he was hired to make a movie with this concept. I think yeah. the fact that it's been in other movies is, is probably the point in that some executive was like, oh, this is a reliable horror premise. Let's see if we can get our horror guy to do something with Let's it. Let's do an A24 version. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but maybe we should have seen those other movies and <laughs> cited them as the puzzle pieces. I just found out about it today. Yeah. So. Come on, Dave, get on it. You got to do your background research. Do my homework. Yes. All right. Well, uh, Josh, you got anything else you saw recently you'd like to uh, recommend? Uh, well, I was going to recommend something that you and I were actually going back and forth about on Twitter, which is the HBO series Room 104 mm. from the Duplass brothers, uh, which I think is, is sort of under the radar. Yeah. Uh, especially for something from the Duplasses who are pretty well known and well regarded. And it's it's an anthology series. So each episode is a different story. They're all set in this motel room and they uh span different genres from uh drama to comedy to horror to weird sci-fi and because it's an anthology they get a lot of really big name stars to show up for just one episode and do some random weird thing and i'm still making my way through the second season but i feel like this is a show that a lot of indie film kind of fans would really like uh i mean in addition to the duplasses there are a lot of uh indie directors and writers who work on this and then uh, that they're kind of nurturing their careers. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, for for whatever reason, I don't know if HBO under promotes it or there's just so much other stuff out there that it, it gets lost. But uh, I think it's something that people should look out for. There's two full seasons, I think like 24 episodes and yeah. they're short. They're almost all under 30 minutes, which I personally love. And well, you can watch them in any order. You don't have to remember what happened from episode to episode. Uh, so yeah, Room 104, check it out. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I've been really dying to watch season two. I, I love season one. I've only watched the first episode of season two so far, but I mean, it, it's a great show. And yeah, I mean, it's such wide ranging styles from episode to episode. I mean, some of the most like creepy horror to some of the best like dark comedy. I mean, it's it's great. It's a great show. Yeah, it's a really good show. And I, uh, yeah, I think I've watched three or four episodes episodes of that second season i'm certainly gonna get through it all eventually along with everything else i have to watch awesome well uh as uh, this episode comes out you'll have something new to plug won't you yeah. although you've plugged it before on the we show have, but, but it's yeah, new we'll, we'll plug you know. it again it's finally <laughs> it's finally being released and people can listen to awesome movie year the podcast that uh i am co-hosting with Comedian and filmmaker Jason Harris, uh, and that Dave is producing mm-hmm. and uh, occasionally contributing his thoughts to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are taking a look at a different year in movies in each season. We've just launched our first season looking at the movies of 1994. Each episode takes a look at a different film from that year uh, in a variety of categories, including Best Picture, Biggest Box Office Hit, 
uh, Biggest Flop, and a whole bunch of others. So we're very excited about it. Hopefully people who listen to Piecing It Together will give us a shot and will enjoy it. I think there's a lot of similarities. And if you like Piecing It Together, you will enjoy Awesome Movie Year, which is at awesomemovieyear.com and on social media things at Awesome Movie Year and Awesome Movie Pod. There you go. And it, there will be a link in the show notes and people definitely check out Awesome Movie Year. It's a great, great show. Um, so Josh, that does it. Uh, you know, we just did back-to-back Her Smell Us, <laughs> a uh, 2019 midway through the year wrap-up. And now this movie... Um, I know you've been on a whole lot lately, yeah. but we always love having you. So. It's always great to be here. I hope to come back soon. Hello, and welcome to Scream Scene. The horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, then rank them from best to worst. Your dedicated hosts, Sarah and Ben, bring you a new episode each week, covering the history of film through a horror lens. From silent to sound and black and white to color, and the social and cultural context surrounding them. Scream Scene is your well-researched, in-depth, and respectful dive into the horror movies of old. Join us, Creatures of the Night, by subscribing to Scream Scene on iTunes. And visit our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. You'll be dying to subscribe. <laughs> That's pretty bad. It'll be a hell of a good time. Better? It'll lift your spirits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Midsummer. It is a crazy movie and absolutely one that you should see in the theater if you haven't already. Although you really should have seen it before you listen to this episode because... I don't really remember what we spoiled, but we probably spoiled something that's pretty important. So, I mean, come on. You, you can't say I didn't blame you, but I am talking after the episode. What am I doing? What am I rambling on about? All right, let's just move on. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. If you're not already, you should be subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod, and you can join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all these great movies that we talk about on the show. If you really want to, you can also... Go check out our Patreon and uh, become a Patreon. That would be pretty cool. We are starting to plan some special bonus content for that Patreon, but for now, you can get a whole bunch of my music if you sign up. So uh, expect to see a lot more stuff there. In the coming months, I'm going to start building that thing out quite a bit. But for now, there's not a lot there. <laughs> but there is a whole lot of music, so... Check it out, and uh, yeah, I do appreciate all the support in whatever way you uh, have been supporting the show. So let's leave you guys with a piece of music, and then we'll be back with more Piecing It Together uh, coming real soon. So what should we play for you guys today? All right, well, Midsummer is a pretty damn creepy experience, so I'm going to play a kind of creepy track of mine. I think I might have played it before, but uh, it's a song called Scarecrow, and it's from my free album, Like Ashes. So if you do enjoy this track, you can go check out Like Ashes for free at davidrosen.bandcamp.com. So let's check out Scarecrow, and we'll be back with more piecing it together soon.
and All Points West. Thank you.